Good evening. A pride march in New York calls for a return to old values of resistance. Fears mount as rescuers fail to find survivors at a building collapse in Florida. Biden walks back his infrastructure plans. Are private companies looting America? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, June 27, 2021. Competing LGBTQIA pride marches in New York City today. The traditional annual heritage of Pride March was consigned to a mostly virtual world by the pandemic, but the more radical queer liberation march brought thousands who marched along 7th Avenue today. The Reclaim Pride Coalition began as a protest to the Pride March two years ago. Reclaim Pride Coalition organizer J.W. Walker says the split occurred after years of what he says was over-policing of the event. There really seemed to be a significant shift during the Giuliani administration. The numbers of police present along the parade route seemed to markedly increase. The use of the French-style bike rack barricades, those began under Giuliani. That kind of closed off participation from onlookers in the parade. So that was a a shift uh, along with the over-policing of the end point of the parade, the West Village area. The over-barricading are all around that area west of 7th Avenue. A lot of members of the community started stepping back from participating in Pride because of just the sort of overwhelming police presence that then only grew after 9-11, supposedly of protecting people from a possible terrorist attack. All of that over-barricading actually made people less safe because in the event of a terrorist attack, the people in the immediate area of that terrorist attack would have been hemmed in by interlocking metal barricades and not able to escape. Last year, the reclaimed pride theme was George Floyd. This year, Walker said is a broader queer liberation theme. Both events commemorate the June 28, 1969 uprising at the Stonewall Inn, where patrons fought back during a police raid. Last month, Heritage of Pride, the more traditional group, banned uniformed police from March in the event. Definitely is a schism within our LGBTQIA2S communities. It does tend to break along both racial and ethnic lines and along age lines. Reclaim Pride Coalition organizer J.W. Walker. Sunday afternoon, folks can head to Pride Fest, a street fair with vendors, food and entertainment in Manhattan. A dance party is planned for Herald Square and fireworks, music and food on Pier 45 in Hudson River Park. On Friday, police released photos and video of the suspects accused of defacing a George Floyd statue in Brooklyn with white supremacist graffiti. Four men with bandanas covering their faces were caught on camera walking toward the six-foot memorial at Flatbush Junction with one of the men appearing to take to shake a can of spray paint. The statue was unveiled on Juneteenth. It was defaced sometime, sometime after 3 a.m. on Thursday. In a tweet, Mayor Bill de Blasio called the vandalism a racist, loathsome, despicable act of hate. Statue producer Lindsay Eshelman had this to say. I'm not going to get emotional, but to come up today and see that someone in the name of hate uh, came through the night and defaced it. And in the night when we couldn't see their face, they snuck in. It's really, really devastating. Only been five days and it's very disheartening and it's disgusting and it's sad. 
stop the movement because a statue is an inanimate object. That's why I can be mad. Yes, it's a statue, and I can be mad, and I understand what it represents, but change is here, and you can't stop change. Floyd's face and the inscription on the pedestal were covered with black paint, and the Patriot Front website address was stenciled on the statue. According to the Anti-Defamation League, Patriot Front is a known white supremacist group dedicated to preserving the country's, quote, ethnic and cultural origins of their European ancestors. The vandalism came as ex-Minneapolis cop Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of murdering Floyd after kneeling on his neck for about nine minutes, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. The statue on display on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn for se- it will be on display for several weeks before it's scheduled to move to Union Square in Manhattan in July. Meanwhile, a statue honoring Floyd in Newark, New Jersey, also was vandalized overnight on Wednesday, also defaced with the tag PatriotFront.us. And rescuers digging through the rubble of a 12-story Florida beachfront condo sought to reassure families as responders work carefully to uncover survivors. As Miami-Dade Mayor Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava announced the death toll has risen to nine. Result of that, we recovered four additional bodies in the rubble, as well as additional human remains. As of today, one victim passed away in the hospital, and we've recovered eight more victims, and confirming today that the death toll is at nine. My deepest condolences to the families, the friends, the communities. And there are 159 still reported missing. The remains were uncovered as rescuers have dug a trench through the pancake remains of Champlain Towers South in an attempt to find survivors. We need to be sure that uh, the, the pile does not uh, fall on them, that it does not fall on any possible survivors, and we are diligently pursuing that as we do our work. So we're cutting a deep trench to assist us. It's now 125 feet in length into the pile. It's 20 feet wide and 40 feet deep. Now, this trench is very critical to the continuation of the search and rescue process. Uh, we, we've continued all night to build that, uh, that trench. And-, and that's Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava. Just some note, it reminds me so much of the way uh, the uh, attack on the World Trade Center was uh, and its recovery was reported uh, now 20 years ago. Meanwhile, more questions about what could have caused the oceanfront building to collapse. Surfside Florida Mayor Charles Barrett. Buildings in the United States do not fall down, and something very, very wrong was going on at that building. Recently uncovered emails from nearly three years ago estimated major repairs to the building would cost more than $9 million. Other documents show the ground floor pool deck of the building was resting on a concrete slab that had major structural damage and needed to be extensively repaired. And, quote, abundant cracking and spalling of concrete columns, beams and walls in the parking garage. Spalling is when the concrete actually peels away from the internal rebar that's uh, reinforcing it. Mayor Barrett says residents of an identical building nearby the collapse should be moved out. I reached out to Senator Scott yesterday and Mayor Kava and recommended that we relocate the people in the Champlain Towers so that we can do a comprehensive forensic 
inspection of the structural components of both those buildings, given that those buildings were built by the same developer. One of those buildings is identical, and it's very likely that the same supplies were used and the same plans. I can't tell residents, I can't answer their question when they ask me, is the building safe? If there are those folks that feel confident that there is not an issue, uh, we don't want to force them out of their home. However, for those that are frightened and concerned, I wanted to make sure that they had options. I know that the identical building collapsed for an inexplicable reason. Buildings in the United States do not fall down, and something very, very wrong was going on at that building. Surfside, Florida Mayor Charles Barrett. Engineers say the collapse is a major wake-up call for the other uh, similar buildings along the ocean waterfront in Miami Beach and the city of Surfside to its north. And a bipartisan deal to invest nearly $1 trillion in the nation's infrastructure appeared to be back on track Sunday after a stark walk back by President Joe Biden to his earlier insistence. The bill will be coupled with an even larger Democrat-backed measure in order to earn his signature. Barely 48 hours after apparently linking the brick-and-mortar infrastructure bill favored by some Republicans, Biden stepped back. In the, the coming months this summer, before the, the, the fiscal year is over, that we will have voted on this bill, as well the infrastructure bill, as well as voted on the budget rec, uh, uh, resolution. And that's when they'll, but if only one comes to me, I'm not, if this is the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing it. It's in tandem. Look, the bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. Not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest I, that I proposed. The question is, how much can we get done? Does what you agree to preclude forever you getting the things you really want? Well, I'm not for that. I'm not going to vote for one of those deals. Secondly, do you get all of what you wanted and you come back and fight another day? President Biden, Utah Republican Mitt Romney says he believed there was now sufficient GOP support in the Senate to reach the 60 vote threshold to overcome a potential filibuster and pass the bipartisan package. A second bill favored by the Democrats would provide funding for a more controversial definition of infrastructure, embracing social capital such as early childhood education and paid family leave. New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says it's important to have a larger infrastructure plan. To me, it's not just about a price tag, right? You can have an enormous price tag that is chock full of fossil fuel giveaways and doesn't spend that money in a way that is going to, um, that is going to solve our problem. So, and you, likewise, you can also have an infrastructure plan that is too small and it's so small that it doesn't invest in any meaningful way that people can really feel a positive impact in their everyday lives. And so for me, it's not as much about a price tag, although I do think that there is a level where we do go too small. But I think it's really about what impact are we making? And I believe that you all it's really important that we talk about, you know, that this three trillion, six trillion, these figures that are tossed around. They're spread out over 10 years or in eight years in some of these uh, in, in some of these packages. When you break that down into a per year cost, it is much, much smaller. And frankly, we really need to understand that this is our one big shot, 
not just in terms of family, child care, Medicare, but on climate change. The IPCC report just came out this week that showed devastating consequences if we underinvest. Resilience does not draw down carbon. And building car infrastructure does not draw down carbon. We need to have real deal rail investment, high-speed rail investment that will help actually electrify and transition a lot of folks so that they have the option to take rail almost wherever they need to take it. New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts is William Lazonic. He's author of Predatory Value Extraction, How the Looting of the Business Corporation Became the U.S. Norm and How Sustainable Prosperity Can Be Restored. Lazonic argues Wall Street financial manipulations like stock buybacks are effectively looting corporations uh, is are effectively the looting of corporations by shareholders. He examines how Apple Computers has disinvented from disinvested from research and development, handing the lead in technology to companies like Chipmaker, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, known as TSMC. One of the reasons they've fallen behind, a major reason they've fallen behind, is because they have been taking their profits and using them totally the wrong way. And they're not alone in this. So another company, actually the biggest repurchaser ever now in history, is Apple. It has spent $420 billion since 2013 just buying back its stock. It spent about $110 billion on dividends, very ample dividends. You would get your stock price increase with Apple. Apple's still doing all kinds of its products. But this is money totally wasted. Now, it turns out that actually the main U.S. competitors in semiconductor fabrication, which are Samsung and TSMC in Taiwan, they wouldn't be as strong, particularly TSMC, without Apple. So Apple is TSMC's biggest customer, about 25% of their revenues in the most advanced technologies, which are used for smartphones. What Apple could have done back, and it was suggested to them by people in the electronics industry back in 2010, they could have started investing in their own fab. They could have done spun it off as a separate company. They would have spent a fraction, maybe half at most, probably a third, that $420 billion if they had invested in that capability. Apple could have also very easily invested in environmentally clean products and clean energy. Again, they don't need to do it directly in their own company, but they can do it do a spin-off. The Apple board is only seven people. The second longest serving board member is the guy who's supposed to be the big champion of clean technology in the United States, Al Gore. Al Gore is sitting there while Apple is doing as much as $73 billion a year. Now, if you think about it, it's a big deal that TSMC, the world's leading foundry, now has said it's going up from about $17 billion to $30 billion a year to create the most advanced foundries in the world. Apple is doing this just to get the stock price higher and for people to sell their stock. And this is not just uh, confined to them. Cisco is no longer a world leader in innovation and technology. It sells a lot of enterprise networking equipment because since 2002, it's just spent over 100% of the, its profits buying back its stock alone, plus more on dividends. So then you come back to the issue of what could have they have invested in? Actually, a lot of the apologists, let's say, for stock buybacks say, well, they didn't have anything to invest in. What? 
Intel, Apple, Cisco, they had nothing to invest in. Well, then the people who are running those companies shouldn't be running those companies. What's going to happen? Are these corporations going to pick apart this infrastructure bill and the investment? Well, they'll make, just... They're happy to have the government spend money and, and taxpayers spend money, but they're not going to give us anything back. They're going to keep trying to avoid taxes, as they did with the tax cuts in 2017. Everybody knew that they were being done so they could do more buybacks to prop up the stock price. In fact, the Democrats are very critical of that. That's what they're going to keep doing. We have an agency called the Security Exchange Commission was set up in the mid-30s to prevent manipulation and fraud in the stock market. We've been allowing companies to manipulate their stock markets for over for almost 40 years now. It should just ban stock buybacks. In fact, there is legislation from Senator Tammy Baldwin that's been in the Senate and also been introduced in the House since 2018 to ban stock buybacks. Biden himself spoke out against stock buybacks in a Wall Street Journal op-ed in September of 2016. And he doesn't write very many op-eds in the Wall Street Journal even before then. That's the first step is get these companies that have all these capabilities and for whom we are creating all this infrastructure and all these labor force of the future, get them to actually build on that and create the jobs, create the competitive products, keep the United States at the cutting edge of world technology, which it is not at this point because of this behavior. William Lozonic is Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts. He says over the past decade, top U.S. companies spent a total of $5.3 trillion on stock buybacks, equal to 54% of their net income, spending another $3.8 trillion on dividends, those are payments to stockholders, equal to 39% of their income. And former President Donald Trump held a rally in Wellington, Ohio last night, supporting Max Miller and Mike Carey, both Republican candidates for the House of Representatives in Ohio. Trump repeated his false claims of voter fraud in a rigged 2020 election, stating again he did in fact win the election. Trump also says teaching critical race theory was being forced on the military by woke generals whom he later referred to as weak and ineffective leaders. This year, the Biden administration issued new rules pushing twisted critical race theory into classrooms across the nation and also into our military. Our generals and our admirals are now focused more on this nonsense than they are on our enemies. You see these generals lately on television? They, they are woke. They're woke. Our military will be incapable of fighting and incapable of taking orders. You're going to tell some private, private, stand up. You stand up right now. I'm not standing up. You can't talk to me that way, General. We're going to have a whole different ballgame here. I don't know how they're going to work that out. The, the private's going to tell the general, don't you ever speak to me that way, General. I'll kick your ass. That's our military. That's where we're going. Woke. I know some of these guys. Boy, they changed quickly. They went right over to the other side. I heard that about a couple of them. The military brass have become weak and ineffective leaders, and our enemies are watching and they're laughing. We need a Republican Congress to ban critical race theory. You know, I had it banned through executive order. And it was fine. And then when we didn't get in, they immediately reinstituted it. But it was all gone. But they have to get it out of our schools and they have to ban it in our workplaces and ban it in our states and ban it in 
federal agencies and ban it in our military, maybe most importantly. And that's former President Donald Trump earlier this week, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Miley, sparred with Florida GOP Congressman Matt Gates over woke culture and critical race theory. That probably gave rise to uh, Trump's speech yesterday. What is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a Civil War and Emancipation Proclamation to change it, and we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know, and I respect your service, and you and I are both Green Berets, but I want to know, and it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military, and I thank you for the opportunity to make a comment on that. Thank you, General. And that's uh, Mark Milley. He's the head of the Joint Chiefs. During the hearing, Representative Michael Waltz, a Florida Republican, said Army cadets, families, and soldiers were concerned and alarmed about a theory he said is rooted in Marxism and defines an entire race of people as the oppressor. And finally, supporters of Peru's rival presidential candidates, socialist Pedro Castillo and right-winger Keiko Fujimori, have taken to the streets amid uncertainty over a legal challenge to the outcome of the closely contested 6th of June election. Castillo holds a slender 44,000-vote lead over Fujimori with all ballots counted, but his right-wing rival has sought to disqualify votes, largely in rural areas that back the leftists, making claims of fraud with little evidence. Peruvian journalist Francesca Manuele says the hostile rhetoric from the right wing is becoming more violent. There is like violent calls in Peru. There have been at least two demonstrations organized by Keiko supporters, and many of them are assured that there was fraud in these elections, despite international observers uh, like the OAS and the European Union have said that there's no evidence of fraud. And despite these allegations of Keiko Fujimori, they keep their position, their stance on that there is no evidence of fraud at all. So there are threats of a coup of some sort? Last week, hundreds of former military members wrote a letter threatening with a coup against Castillo if he is declared the president. The current president of Peru in a press conference said that this is illegal and actually he requested an investigation but on the other hand Keiko Fujimori is requesting more reviews of the tally sheets and she's trying to delay 
as much as possible the proclamation of Castillo as the president. This is very scary because each day that passes, there it's a day where the economic powers and supporters of Keiko Fujimori, Keiko Fujimori herself, have time to come up with creative ideas or creative paths to attack or blockade the proclamation of Castillo as president. We have to remember that Keiko Fujimori is under investigation and the prosecutor has requested for her to be in prison for 30 years, a sentence of 30 years, because she's been investigated for money laundering and also because she illegally financed her party with money of Odebrecht. Briefly, what is Odebrecht? Yeah, a real estate company from Brazil that actually was receiving uh, contracts with governments in Latin America uh, in exchange for in exchange for briberies in exchange of giving them briberies to different uh, politicians in Latin America and in the case of Keiko Fujimori Odebrecht uh, uh, gave money to her party uh, and in exchange of contracts. Of course, this is like dark money sources in the sense that it is illegal to give contracts to a real estate company without a fair and clear process because you receive bribe or money in order to give those contracts. So these are people who became rich in this company, just like bribing politicians. If she's elected, Fujimori is elected, she's not held accountable for this that means Peru is under the control of uh, a criminal enterprise, basically. Definitely. In fact, the prosecutor has said that Fujimori's party is a criminal organization with those words. So definitely if Keiko Fujimori succeeds, Peru will be run by a criminal organization. That's for sure. Peruvian journalist Francesca Emanuele. And that's some of the news for Sunday, June 27, 2021. The news producer, Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>